It is the 200 level episode 222. It was a good day. And wasn't it Saturday, one for the ages, if you were an Illini fan, a win at Penn State. And as I woke up this morning, it's Sunday afternoon as I record this, as I woke up this morning, I still had that sort of, did that just happen? Sort of attitude about it. And as the day is wore on and it's sort of, you know, sat with me for a bit and, and the realities of it had become apparent, this is the biggest and most surprising win that I can think of for Illinois football dating back, I don't even know, 2007, perhaps the uh, Penn State win at home or the Penn State-Wisconsin wins that were both surprising but also consequential. And I use the word consequential because if I were to look back at the Wisconsin game in 2019, the leeriness that I had after that was we had seen so much from Lovey Smith that I didn't think or feel at the time like that was the turning point. I thought we've already come so far with Lovey Smith that it kind of is what it is, and they got a big win, and hopefully they parlayed into something, but I didn't have much faith that they would. They did turn it into a bowl game. Credit to them for doing that. But this, being year one for Brett Bielema, makes this all the more shocking with how you had played the seven games before, and it makes it all the more consequential because this is the first year of a new coaching staff. And not only that. I think the primary difference between this win on the road at number seven Penn State and then the Wisconsin win two years ago is that you utterly dominated Penn State yesterday. I mean, the lines of scrimmage were dominated by Illinois. And for this to happen after a bye week, after looking as bad as you did against Wisconsin on both sides of the ball, mind you, for you to recover in the way that you did with all the noise around that program after Brett Bielma's Monday press conference is remarkable. So as time goes on, this is only going to be that much more impressive of a win. There was nothing fluky about it. And you could have argued that that game shouldn't even went to overtime had it not been for two touchdowns called back that we can argue uh, whether or not those penalties should have been called. I mean, I think they were penalties by the book, no doubt, but there were more egregious holding calls than the one we saw against Palchuski. And we didn't get, I didn't get a good enough look at the first touchdown that was called back. I think if the receiver would have been behind the line of scrimmage, it would have been okay for the man downfield. And they were talking about that on TV. But by that point, Illinois just had to go for it again on second and 20 or second and 25. You dominated that game in a lot of ways. In time of possession, damn near 40 minutes of a 60-minute game, you had the ball. And then it all comes down to the penalty kick sort of overtime where, unbeknownst to me, beginning the third overtime, you just go for two-point conversions. I thought that it just meant that you started the 25, and then you had to go for two-point conversions, and eventually they made you start from the three-yard line and said the two. Not at all. No, it was penalty kicks, and in this shootout, Illinois was two out of seven, and Penn State was one out of seven. It was remarkable. It's a word that I'm going to keep using that probably sounds hyperbolic, but you know, as I sit here 24 hours after the fact, it is becoming even more impressive with time. And it sets up the rest of the season that at least we'll have some intrigue in a way that I did not think we would have. And, and what a difference. Four hours and 11 minutes of game time. That's what it was. What a difference it made from 11 a.m. until what would that have been? Um, 3 3.11, right? When that game finally ended. The difference in perception that I have of this football program, night and day. 
you know, going into it, apathy had already kind of set in. And of course I watched it. I can talk a big game, but I'm going to turn it on and see if it's worth watching. It got to 10 nothing. I said, I'll listen to it. That's my compromise. I'll listen to it as I do yard work and other stuff around the house. Then we're getting to the late third quarter, and I say, I should probably watch this. This was during another one of those long drives where Illinois was rattling off eight, nine, ten yard runs left and right. And you could hear from Martin O'Donnell, especially on that broadcast, the excitement and how giddy he was with the domination of that offensive line. And then Chase Brown doing what he did, another 200-plus yard performance. He's incredible. Uh, Josh McCray, a good game for him, of course. I know he had the dropped two-point conversion. Thankfully, that was not ultimately consequential in the result. Uh, But you have two really good running backs and an offensive line that seems to be figuring it out all in the same week that the brouhaha with the media or certain media figures, I shouldn't say the media with one broad stroke, was about his comments, Brett Bielma's comments about the offensive line. So what a week it was, all culminating in one day where Illinois gets the win on the road, changes the tenor and the tone of the season, and through that, the uh, Brett Bielma era itself, all of a sudden, I think there's a lot more optimism, as there should be after a win like that. And then you get to cap it off with a cherry on top of the Sunday. Illinois basketball at the State Farm Center. And walking into that arena, what a feeling that was. So today, I'm going to talk about both of those uh, things from yesterday. The huge football win that gets us invested again, as it should. And then the basketball game where I've said many times on this podcast how high I am on this particular team. And even considering the opponent, yesterday did nothing to dole my optimism. I am ready for this Illinois basketball team. It was a good day. Before we get too far into it, got to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Now you can go online, get a custom zone with any topping you want, or you can get one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. And best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So if it's a rainy day like it is on this Sunday, as I'm recording this, and you don't want to leave the house or don't want to leave the office, no worries. They will bring a piping hot calzone to your doorstep. That's dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com for vintage inspired Alani apparel. Go to fourthandkirby.com, including Big Guy 1 and Big Guy 2. These are my favorite football shirts that they have, but they got a lot of choices. Big Guy 1 is my game day shirt. And then basketball season, it's here. So you need to get some basketball t-shirts or maybe even a crew neck sweatshirt. They got some good ones there for basketball season at fourthandkirby.com. Got to thank Rector Construction online at R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com. For all your home exterior remodeling needs, these guys are expert craftsmen, great customer service. When it comes to remodeling projects, you've probably worked with contractors before, and it can be a pull-your-hair-out experience. Yeah, you know, the work might be good, but there's the whole thing about scheduling it, and will it get done on time? You don't need to worry about that with Rector Construction. These guys are pros. They'll get the job done well, and they'll get it done in time. That's RectorConstruction.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Brian is my guy.com. He's my guy for homeowners and auto. Nice bundle from State Farm. Um, Brian can be your guy as well, and this goes for any kind of insurance that you need. We're talking great State Farm prices, of course, but personalized service from Brian and his staff at brianismyguy.com. The Alana Inquirer and Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. Got to thank you as well, the listeners, for sticking through what was a two, three-week period of doldrums. We were waiting for basketball. We were hoping football could give us a glimmer. They didn't until yesterday. And little 
did I ever think that today I would be doing this podcast starting primarily with football, but that's how it is. We will get to basketball and how much fun it was at State Farm Center last night, but let's start with football and what we saw yesterday and what it means going forward. Now, there were a few things here from the Illini Stats Twitter account. This is at Illini Stats. Fast, accurate, insightful statistics. That's how they describe themselves. And this is a really cool resource if you're into numbers sorts of things. A few things I want to read to you from yesterday's game. Chase Brown led the nation in yards after contact last week with 141. They're talking about the Penn State game. Uh, He has led the nation in yards after contact twice in the last four weeks, and he is the only running back to lead the nation in yards after contact twice this season. Some other stuff here from Illini Stats. These are the highest graded Illini by the pro football, uh, the PFF. What is that? Mm, Gosh, pro football is something rather, but they do college metrics. The highest rated or highest graded Illini include Chase Brown at a 90.4. Apparently, that's really good, as it should be. Daniel Barker, 81. Uh, Badavinak. Badavinak. Am I saying that right? Offensive lineman at 75.7. Barlev at 74.6. Gerasadi at 69.3. And Julian Pearl at 68.2. Four of your highest graded offensive players were linemen. Not surprisingly. Now, of course, the quarterback's not going to be there. The wide receivers aren't going to be there. So you could say it's kind of by default, but I think that speaks volumes. Also of an offensive line, keep in mind, that lost for Darian Lowe yesterday. And that was in the third quarter. So they, in crunch time, still were getting a lot of those runs in the late third and fourth quarter that that put them in position to win the game. Defensively, Roderick Perry, highest graded at 83.4. Uh, Tolson at linebacker, he's been rock solid. I could go back to the Michigan State game in 2019 when he came in. I don't know if it was for Han- I think it was for Hanson, actually. And he played a really damn good game. He's been a solid linebacker for this program, 77.9. Tony Adams was great yesterday, 76.3 grade, according to PFF. Isaiah Gay. Um, listed as outside linebacker as a pass rusher, 75.9. Devin Witherspoon, a big day for him, 75.8. And Keith Randolph at 72.3. You see that on defense, the they kind of spread the wealth between the line, linebackers, and defensive backs. The six highest graded defensive players for Illinois, two from each position unit. Elsewhere from Illini Stats, 357 rushing yards, the seventh most allowed by Penn State since 1947 and the second most allowed at home. Pretty remarkable. The last time they gave up this many or more yards to a Big Ten program was at Ohio State in 2013 when they gave up 408. All right, some other cool stats. Illinois' largest point spread upsets, according to Odd Shark, since 1998. Now, you can guess the first one. That would be 29.5 against Wisconsin two years ago. Michigan... 21 years ago to the day of the Penn State upset, 25-point underdogs. You ended up winning that 35-29. to Yesterday, 24.5 was the final spread, according to Odd Shark. So that's a half point behind that Michigan upset. And then 24.5 at Michigan State. That was back in 2006 when you planted the flag. John L. Smith was none too pleased about that. Juice Williams got his first Big Ten win, first of many. All right, elsewhere from Illini Stats, these are just really cool nuggets from yesterday's game. The first unranked Big Ten team to beat a ranked Big Ten team on the road with at least 357 rushing yards. This is a very specific stat. Since November 
2001 when Indiana rushed for 489 yards in a 37-28 victory over number 22-ranked Michigan State at Spartan Stadium. You know what probably helped Indiana rush for 489 yards? Antoine Randall I'm guessing. You don't have a running quarterback. You did all this the old-fashioned three yards in a cloud of dust way with Chase Brown and Josh McCray. All right, what else do we got here? They have a screenshot, of course, from the box score, which this was kind of a meme that was circulating around the internet yesterday. How different places recorded the box score with nine overtimes. And the best ones, of course, are where each overtime period gets its own number. And you see zero, 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 zero. It looks like a penalty kick shootout that you'd play in FIFA. And Illinois got two, and of course, Penn State only one. Chase Brown, his second 200-yard rushing game of the season, he joins Howard Griffith and Rashard Mendenhall as the only players in Illinois football history with multiple 200-yard rushing games in a single season. I'll repeat that. He joins the same company as Howard Griffith and Rashard Mendenhall. Kid's a stud. Uh, and, And also, keep in mind, as good as the offensive line was yesterday, and they were great, he yet again led the country in yards after contact. Josh McCray did the same thing against Purdue, what was it, three or four weeks back. Now, that's good news, bad news. But I think it also speaks to just how good these running backs are. They are getting the initial holes. They're getting hit, let's say, three, four yards from the line of scrimmage, and they're still gaining eight or nine yards on these carries. Let's see here. Chase and Josh McCray, the first teammates to rush for 100-plus yards against Penn State since Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks from Minnesota in 2016. I don't remember those guys. Uh, Let's see here. Brown and McCray are also the first Illini duo to rush for 100 yards in the same game since Mike Epstein and Chase Brown at Nebraska last season. Remember Mike Epstein? It's been a while. Uh, Let's see if there's anything else here of note. That was just a lot of cool nuggets from the Illini stats page. Um, what What a game. You know, and to dominate in the way that you did and win based on a rushing attack, there's something that's just so, I don't know, the meatball fan in me comes out. You know, just run it down their throats and they can't stop you. And we aren't talking about a scrub Penn State team. Now, if we take a look at the other end of this, this is what's fun the day after a big upset, is to look at it from the other team's perspective. And I think Matt Jones is a writer for Penn State. At least the byline was for Jones. And this is a subscriber-only article. But the headline, and I'm somewhat paraphrasing here, said, if there is a worse loss that Penn State football has ever had, we don't want to see it. Effectively saying that is potentially the worst loss in program history. Keep in mind that they're entering yesterday. Ohio State is coming up next week. This was a warm-up game after a bye week for Penn State. This was a get-right game with Clifford getting back in the lineup after losing in Iowa, but you were not out of the college football playoff talk yet. Not yet, at least. Well, now you are, of course. And in such kind of pathetic fashion. If you're a Penn State fan, you're looking at yesterday's game thinking, what the hell happened? How could we have gotten outmanned by an Illinois team that, yeah, they got the super seniors, but when you really look at it, especially defensively, most of the guys on the Illinois defense too deep will be back next year. Jake Hansen didn't play yesterday. A lot of the guys that we're talking about still have eligibility left. So I don't think that Ryan Walters is going to have a full-on rebuild on that side of the ball. Talk about reasons to get excited for the immediate future of this team. That's one of them. You got a defensive coordinator that seems to know what the hell he's doing. He's maximizing the talent that he has, and you hopefully can plug some of those holes with a couple transfers next year, but the core of the defense will remain intact. That is awesome. But again, if you're Penn State, imagine walking back out to the tailgate at what would have been 4.11 p.m. Eastern time. Starting to get dark. It was a cloudy, kind of wet day out there. How miserable that would have been. 
I mean, they woke up this morning with a feeling of emptiness. And no offense to Penn State fans, but as I mentioned in yesterday's pod, on Saturday's podcast, you know, I'm okay with Penn State fans feeling a little bit of emptiness after what their program essentially got away with. Scot-free, if you think about it. You know, the NCAA, of course, laid down the hammer, but if you really think about what ramifications there were for the Jerry Sandusky thing, not a lot when you look at what James Franklin and then before him, was it O'Brien? Yeah, Bill O'Brien, the coach. Pretty quickly, they got back to relevance. There wasn't any sort of death penalty. They continued to be Penn State football, which is, you know, maddening, but nonetheless, it's nice to beat them. That's just some extra juice in beating a program like that. And many of the fans that, as as fans often do, sort of rationalize irrational or, in this case, sick behavior on the part of their former coaches. So this was just a feel-good day in so many ways, from the feel-good of, yay, we won, to the feel-good schadenfreude of Penn State fans being miserable. I'll take it. Just the same way that, no offense to Wisconsin fans, I'll take Wisconsin fans feeling miserable because, quite frankly, I'm tired of them feeling good. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, this is Brett Bielema's 100th win. And I keep using the word consequential, which was actually the word that I used in the very first episode of the 200 level in 2019 when it became a podcast, a most consequential year. And that was about Lovey. It was do or die. That was about Brad Underwood in year three turning things around. And they made a bowl game, and they would have made the NCAA tournament, a consequential year that actually worked out for both of those programs. When I think about the consequential nature of this win for Brett Bielema, it affirms the fact that he does know what he's doing, right? It affirms the fact in one afternoon that he has a blueprint in place that can win in the Big Ten. And that's something that Illinois has not consistently done since John Makovic. And that blueprint is simple. Play defense and run the ball. And then if you can upgrade the quarterback position, and then if you can start building strong uh, depth at the lines, especially offensive line, which is sort of his bread and butter, then you build some consistency where year in, year out, your floor is, what, six and six, the occasional five and seven, but you're really looking at more seven and eight win seasons. No reason he can't do that. And he is the first guy that this program has had in a long time that is a proven commodity at this level. I know he was out of the game for a while. I know that Arkansas was uh, hot and cold, the sort of five-year stretch for him. But at the end of the day, the guy knows how to win in D1, specifically in the Big Ten West against these teams. To go on the road against one of the elite Big Ten East teams and do this is all the more impressive. And you know, we saw yesterday at the State Farm Center, the team came out and they got their heroes welcome, as they should. And... That is a galvanizing moment, I think. You know, they got to see firsthand, because this is an away game, so they didn't get the, you know, tons of, you know, tens of thousands of Illini fans cheering them on as this upset was brewing. But they got to come back to, let's say, seven or 8,000 people at the State Farm Center and feel just how impactful that is for this fan base. And I would hope that when I say galvanizing moment, it would be something that can really, you know, clean the stench of that two and five start and give them the jump start they need to potentially make a bowl game. And that's the kind of conversation we're having today. A potential bowl game at 3-5 and five with Rutgers, Minnesota, and Northwestern coming up. Now, these are not going to be easy games. Just because you beat Penn State doesn't mean that all of a sudden we are now a top 25 caliber team. Not by any stretch. You don't have a quarterback. And Brandon Peters, I know he made the throw in overtime, but that helped you win. And kudos to him for doing that in a not easy situation to come into. 
but he will be your starter probably going forward. I'm guessing that Art Sikowski broke his wrist. It looked like that. I mean, it didn't look good for Sikowski, but he was terrible as well. So you still don't have a quarterback you can trust. And you still don't really have much to speak of in the wide receiving core. But you do have a run game and you do have a defense. And in November, when these games get really kind of ugly, and we saw yesterday what an ugly game looks like. As ugly as it was, I had fun watching it. I've seen Illinois teams before that have had offenses capable of scoring you know, 40 points. Like Rod Smith's offenses on occasion could have a breakout game where they would look really pretty on offense. But all too often, they didn't. And that inconsistency would drive you mad Saturday to Saturday. If you tell me that consistently I can get a team that plays defense and runs the ball, I'll find my way to enjoying it. I did yesterday in a game that, by many accounts, was ugly and kind of a laughing stock. if you're not a Penn State or Illinois fan and you're tuning in to one of these mini overtime periods, you're thinking, this ain't that good. It's kind of comical, right? But I still enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more because it was a win. Even before it was a win, wasn't it nice to feel nerves again? I'm kind of pacing around my house and the dog senses it and she's trying to get my lap and calm me down. And I'm like, okay, okay, come on. I mean, just just please get one two-point conversion. And the worst, the nerves that really, really hit me is when Illinois would be first up in the two-point conversion game and they missed theirs and then Penn State gets to go. And if they just convert, they win. And yet the defense time and time again made the stops. It was incredible. I mean, you think about what they did for 60 minutes of regulation, or at least for this defense, the 20 minutes they had to be out there and how they continued that into the overtime period and made big tackle after big tackle didn't cause a single turnover, but they made all the plays that they needed to when it counted. That was the most impressive defensive showing I've seen from an Illinois team. I probably have to go back to 2011 when Vic Honing came in here and you could pick one of those games or I, 2010, he came in here, but 2011, the defense was spectacular despite the offense being AJ Jenkins or bust. So this is a game that all of a sudden the bowl conversations back. I don't know what the line will be for Illinois Rutgers. You might know by the time you listen to this podcast, I'm guessing it'll essentially be a pick em or Illinois minus a few, I don't know if Rutgers would be the favorite after Illinois just goes on the road and beats Penn State. I'm guessing the over-under will be like 37 and a half. And I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole because I don't know who the hell is going to score. But at least there's a possibility. And if you beat Rutgers, I mean, it's just one step at a time now. If you beat Rutgers, you're four and five. And you're looking at Minnesota, Iowa, Northwestern thinking, well, maybe. And for me, that's enough. For me, in the first year of Brett Bielema, that is enough to make me feel like, okay, this season was satisfying. You know, I know yesterday I broached it once. I saw a few other tweets about this. Imagine if we would have won the Maryland or Purdue games. Now, I'm not one that often just says that everything happens for a reason. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. But I don't know if we can play that hypothetical game. Well, if only you would have beaten Maryland or Purdue, because I don't think this game happens the way it does if you beat Maryland or Purdue. I do think that sometimes teams need to go through the ringer or go through extra adversity to be in a position like they were yesterday. So let's say, would you rather have the Maryland and Purdue games or this one Penn State game? Would you rather be three and five with a win against Penn State or would you rather be four and four with a loss at Penn State and wins against Maryland and Purdue? The easy answer is that you would rather be four and four. But I would argue, back to the word consequential, 
that getting this signature statement win on the road at Penn State, the overall record is secondary compared to that. When you're talking to recruits and trying to get them to buy into coming to Illinois and building this thing and building it quick and building it the right way, you need some sort of signature thing that you can sell. Beating Maryland at home on a Friday night and then beating Purdue on a sleepy Saturday afternoon, that's not going to be the thing to turn the heads of recruits. Yesterday against Penn State, that is the kind of thing that would do that. So I'll take 3-5 and five with a win on the road against a top 10 team this late in the year too when the season's really heating up and we were talking you know, college football playoff implications and Illinois thwarted them for Penn State and James Franklin. That to me is a lot bigger. Will they be able to capitalize on it? Of course, that remains to be seen. High school recruiting is one thing. The transfer portal, that's not something we're probably going to learn about until the spring. But you do at least put yourself out there and say, listen, despite what all the noise was, this is what we did at the end of the season. We're showing growth. We're showing progress. So what is essential now? To me, it's always about the follow-up. Just like after they beat Wisconsin in 2019, I found that Purdue game to be especially enjoyable because they backed it up with a 24-0 win, right? I think that was a 20-0. So back it up on Saturday against Rutgers. Show that it was not a fluke and that you can beat a bad Rutgers team by running the ball, playing defense, and win 20-6. to Doesn't need to be a blowout, 20-10. to Actually, it could be 20-18, to just like the Penn State game. Doesn't matter how you get it done, just get the win. Keep the momentum going here. And then you're 4-5, and five, and then we can really get into, okay, how can you win two out of your last three? I'd love to have that conversation. I think we'll be able to have that conversation after Saturday against Rutgers, and what a difference a week makes. Because a week ago, I was struggling to find anything to say about this football program, and now I'm excited to talk about them again. It was really cool to see that team get that welcome yesterday. Bielma and his wife and their two daughters were in there, and if he figures out a way to win, as I could tell last night at State Farm Center, if he figures out a way to win consistently here, that guy has so many things going for him that make him a fit. For Champaign-Urbana as a college town, uh, for Illinois as a university, what I appreciate about him and, and even seeing yesterday in the press conference and a post-game interview, this is an eloquent guy. Don't let the looks fool you that he's just some big meathead football guy. He is an eloquent dude. He's a smart dude. So if you're one of those academic University of Illinois people, he checks off that box. He's not going to make a fool of you like Tim Beckman did. And he actually has personality unlike a Levy Smith did. Uh, that wasn't why you hired Lovey Smith. I understand that, but um, at least there's personality. But then when you look at the more college town, hobnobbing with the local sort of thing, this is something that is right up his alley. And I hope to God that he can win consistently here, because if so, that'll cure what ails us. He's the kind of guy that can, I think, get this ship righted in a direction where we don't have that inferiority complex anymore. We aren't, you know, watching every Illinois game thinking when's the next shoe going to drop. We actually can start enjoying football Saturdays without fear of something bad happening. I think he can do that. Yesterday, I hope, is the start of it. And boy, oh boy, just for one day, it felt great to be an Illini football fan. I want that feeling more often. Not 
not the feeling of, oh, well, we upset a top 10 team on the road. That's one of those all-timer things. That's a memory that will stay with us forever, right? But even just the feeling that as teams come into Memorial Stadium, we're pretty confident that, yeah, I think we'll get this win. As opposed to, oh, God, do I even bother going into the stadium? I want that to flip, you know? I mean, this is at a place right now where after that game against Penn State, I'm thinking, hmm, go into the Rutgers game, perhaps, you know? And this team deserves support, you know, after what they did. And I think that there will be a good turnout. It's Dad's Day, Military Appreciation Day. I think you'll get maybe 35 in there on uh, what looks to be a sunny Saturday in contrast to this rainy Sunday. Um, but yes, this is trending in the right direction because they won. I don't want to think for a second what it would have been like if Penn State would have won in overtime. But sometimes when you're a program that needs that kick in the butt to get going, when you need that adrenaline shot, it takes a little bit of luck in late game situations. Maybe you got a little bit of that, but there was nothing fluky about that win. Illinois dominated. They deserve to win that game. And that is why more than 2019 against Wisconsin, it feels like it could be a program turning win. All right, switching gears to basketball here. Getting to the State Farm Center last night, it was a oddly familiar feeling. It didn't have that sort of, oh man, it's been so long. As I got in line outside of, this would have been the south entrance, you go through a couple metal detectors, so there was a bit of a line, but even just waiting in line, the smile kind of came across my face as I realized I'm actually back here. And there is a sort of full circle nature going on here when I think about the last big thing pre-pandemic that a lot of us did, and that was go to the Illinois-Iowa game. So to be back in that stadium and to see just the 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 throngs of people around, and it was not a sellout by any means. Again, I think there was maybe seven, maybe 8,000 if I'm being generous, maybe half full. Um, But those that were there were into it. And just walking along the concourse, getting to my seats, the starting lineups and all of that. And then the game starts and then it just feels familiar. So there wasn't this sort of jarring, oh, I'm back here. But I was just so damn happy to be back in that place and watching Illinois basketball. And, you know, I could get philosophical and think, man, you know, everyone that the last time they were in there was the Iowa game. We've all gotten a little bit older. We've all went through some things. And that's all true. But this is an entertaining diversion, right? Basketball. And and for me, I didn't have many, if any, existential thoughts. I just got to my seat and enjoyed what was a really fun exhibition. Now, this team, I've said before, in my mind is better than last year's team. That was my kind of prediction. I'm going to double and triple down on that. And after seeing them in person and still considering the opponent, I still stand by that statement. This basketball team is deeper. They are bigger. They are longer. They're more athletic. I think that shooting will come. They were 8 for 23, I think, from 3 yesterday. I'm not worried about that. Plummer did not hit a 3 yesterday. He's going to be a weapon for you. Hutcherson is a weapon for you. Coleman Hawkins is a weapon. And these guys are not starting. If you think about last year's team off the bench, you had DeMonte. After Grandison was put in the lineup, you had DeMonte off the bench first. You had, let's see, Georgie. I feel like I might be forgetting somebody. But really, you went eight deep last year, right? Eight deep. Coleman Hawkins would get some spot minutes and all that. This year's team can go nine deep, I think, without any problem. You've got your starting lineup, which last night was Andre Crabello, of course, Trent, DeMonte, Jacob Grandison, and Kofi. 
And then off the bench, every game, you were at least going to see these three guys. Coleman Hawkins, Austin Hutcherson, Omar Payne. That's eight. The ninth guy you're probably looking at would be a freshman. It sounded like Underwood is very high on Luke Goody. We got some good minutes yesterday from Melendez. He had nine points in nine minutes. He was an energy guy. And his first play was a putback. And that's the kind of stuff that will get him playing time. He's got length. So does Goody. So does uh, Podjimski is how at least the announcer said it. Podjimski? I was always saying Podzemski. We'll call him Pods. But regardless, you go eight deep before you even touch the freshman. And what I like about the guys off the bench, I talked about length and athleticism. Defensively, I think you might be better than last year. Trent Frazier is one of the best on-the-ball backcourt defenders in the nation. We saw that last night. Six steals. He was all over the place. Again, consider the opponent, but you know that he's going to be a pest for other teams. I think Corbello can be a serviceable defender. I'm not counting on him to be great, but he'll be good enough. You'll put him on the second guard for another team. I don't think you'll put him on the best guard. That would be Trent's job. DeMonte, we know, is a great defender. Kofi, very good defender. Grandison, good defender. But off the bench... Omar Payne, while he may struggle offensively, and he did last night, I actually prefer, no offense to Georgie, because Georgie had big moments for you, I prefer a guy like Payne off the bench as the backup center. And he can play with Kofi, even though we didn't really see that last night. But Payne is the backup center. You don't need him to score, apart from maybe a garbage putback or something like that. But defensively, he's going to bring a lot to the table. Coleman Hawkins... If I say X-Factor, that's such a cliche, but he looked great. Shooting was a little bit iffy. He banked in a three. He missed a couple others that weren't so great. But overall, he was looking pretty sharp yesterday. And Austin Hutcherson looks polished. Here is the lineup. Here's what we had. Oh, and I I didn't even mention Plummer. What am I talking about, eight deep? Plummer, that's your nine deep. You're nine deep before you even hit the freshman. That was more than a little bit of an oversight on my part. Not a good job, Carp. Okay, here's your stat line right here. Kofi in 15 minutes had 14 points. Of course, why not? He was a man amongst boys, and he will be that against a lot of teams this year, not just the St. Francis's of the world. Andre Curbelo was in 20 minutes, 11 points, five assists. He did have five turnovers. I noticed a tightness from him early on, and then maybe got a little too loose. It's an exhibition game. I'm not worried about it because when he's doing what he does, you're going to get the occasional turnover. But as we saw last year, he cleans that up. Not worried about Andre. He's a superstar. Trent Frazier, though, was maybe the one who impressed me the most. There was a polish and a competence to his game that you're going to get from, I think he's 24, 23, what you're going to get from now a fifth-year super senior. You know, I was texting with a friend last night, and he said, essentially, Trent Frazier and DeMonte, it's like having European pros on your team. That's where they would be right now. They'd be playing in the pros in Europe. But instead, you get this extra year with both of them. Jacob Grandison, 14 minutes. He had four points and four rebounds. Looked good. You know, just solid. DeMonte, 14 minutes. He had three points. Uh, let's see. One field goal and one free throw. So he was 0 for 1 from 3. Here's your bench. Austin Hutcherson, 21 minutes. That's more than anybody. And I, I think that says quite a bit that Underwood's trying to get him into game shape here. In 21 minutes, he had 14 points. He had seven rebounds. He had an assist. He had a couple turnovers. Uh, Let's see here. Two for three from three. He's got athleticism. He looked great. You know, again, consider the opponent. But I test, you see why all this talk was coming out of the oven about how good this guy was. Coleman Hawkins, 12 minutes, 13 points. 
five rebounds. One turnover, no big deal. Two blocks. He was all over the place. His athleticism and length is going to be a problem for other teams. We also had Alfonso Plummer, 20 minutes. He had four points. Uh, Let's see, two for four from the field, but no rebounds, no assists, no turnovers. He's going to be a guy that occasionally can go off for you off the bench as a three-point specialist. I don't think you lose a whole lot when he's out there in the backcourt. I think defensively he'll be fine. Not spectacular, but fine. But he is, you could do far worse as your fourth guard, right? And then finally, Omar Payne, which only nine minutes. He did have four points, two for four from the field. And he had two rebounds and two blocks. What I saw from him, though, was an athleticism that I have not seen from a backup center here in God knows how long, if ever. And he's never going to be a star, I don't think. I don't think we're going to develop him into that. But I think that after Kofi leaves, you can develop him into a serviceable starting big and that his defense is really his calling card. So I look now at the nine deep before you even touch the freshman and think, this is a different roster, a deeper longer, more athletic roster than last year. When Io was off last year, you had to count on Kofi. And Kofi did his part in the Loyola game, as an example. He still scored his. I know that Loyola, they outmaneuvered you, and Crutwig got his. He got more than Kofi. So there was this sense that, well, Kofi was part of the reason that you lost that game. Nah, Kofi got his. Loyola just schooled you in terms of their scheme. This year, you have a lot more options. I mean, Kofi, for one, is going to be remarkably consistent. I think he's going to be that much more polished. I don't expect many off nights, if any, from Kofi. He's just that damn good. Free throws, maybe a bugaboo, two for four. The team, as I look at it, from the line was 15 of 24. Let's hope that doesn't become a consistent thread. But Trent Frazier is a name that I'm going to keep going back to because there is the sense that he is merely kind of a glue guy, that him and DeMonte are just the older guys and you brought them back. You got that consistency. I really think that Trent can have by far his best season yet where he puts together sort of the freshman year scoring ability with the the senior year defense. And if that is the case, you're talking maybe a third or second team all Big Ten. I think he can have a year like that, not having to be the primary ball handler And, you know, last year we saw Corbello really took over those responsibilities anyways, but when it really came to fruition was when Iowa was out of the lineup and you saw Corbello and Trent playing off of each other like that. It worked. And then Trent, when he has to handle the ball, he looked great last night. I just really love the confidence that I saw from him. And it seems like the team, they look to him. He's not the best player on the team, yet he is the vocal leader. I love that. DeMonte, not so vocal, but still a leader. This is a really good collection of guys. Uh, a really good collection of guys that don't need to look for just one dude to get you the big shot or the big play. It is an ensemble cast in a lot more ways than last year's team was. And that makes me think that their margin for error is greater. It makes me think that their floor is even higher than last year's and that their ceiling is just as high as last year's. It all comes down to, of course, March and matchups. And one bad day can end a season prematurely. We know that. But whereas last year's team seemed to have moments where the urgency wasn't there, I think that this year's team might have that urgency all year long. There will be frustrating losses. Hopefully not many, but I actually think there will be fewer uh, excuse me, fewer frustrating moments for this year's team than what we saw last year. And that might have been partially due to the crazy expectations that we placed on last year's team. Um, but we're putting high expectations on this year's team. 
I was just sitting there and I'm watching them. Trevor had a tweet which kind of summed it up. He said, we're, we're going to be redonkulous. And it's not often you get that word thrown out there. But you know, Trevor tweeted out, we're going to be redonkulous. I'm just sitting here laughing. And I got that sense. There were just these moments where I didn't know what else to do but just sort of laugh out of pure joy for thinking, good God, we're really, really good this year. And as I texted my family, enjoy the ride. This is a great team. And they don't come around very often. You know, we're going to have guys leave, specifically Kofi and Trent and DeMonte after this year. And I think that there are reserves in there that are going to come up and they'll take those roles over and you'll be in the top half of the Big Ten pretty consistently. I think that Underwood has gotten you to that level. But in terms of Big Ten title contender, national title possibilities, and yes, I do think that's a possibility. This is a special team that we're going to watch. And man, they are athletic, they're fast, they can score, and they defend. I mean, that length defensively is going to be a problem for so many teams. There were times last year where even though we were one seed, I felt like it was being done a little bit with smoke and mirrors. We had these fantastic moments, don't get me wrong. One of the best months of Illini basketball I've ever seen, and we got swept up in it. But if we were to remember the moments where they didn't look good, it was against the likes of a Maryland. Had a bunch of tweeners, 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", guys, and we just had problems with those teams. I don't think that's going to be a problem anymore. I think you can impose your will with the athleticism that you have on this team. And there might be some frazzled moments. You know, I don't know if Coleman Hawkins and Omar Payne and Austin Hutcherson are going to be without their fair share of mistakes. But when those are your bigger guys off the bench and then you have a fifth-year senior in Alfonso Plummer as your guard that can light it up on occasion, I'm thinking, I like this ensemble cast. I like the collection of dudes that you have. Now, there's not a whole lot that we can probably glean into a win against St. Francis as an exhibition game. What can you take away and what do you just kind of leave on the court and say, well, that was an NAIA team. But what I am taking away is this team passed the eye test. It was so much fun to watch them in person. It's going to be so much fun to go to that stadium for every game this year and watch them develop. And as they do, as the light turns on for some of these guys, especially coming off the bench, I'm going to be excited for so many different rotations out there. There were times last year when when Georgie would come out, you're thinking, just don't lose your lead. Now, to Georgie's credit, again, he helped you win the Big Ten tournament. You don't win it without Georgie. He had his great moments last year. It was a nice send-off for him. But as I look at this bench, I'm not going to have that same feeling of dread as these guys are brought out. In fact, I'm going to be watching the starting lineup, and I'm like Grandison, but you know, maybe it's the shiny new toy syndrome that I have here. But I'm thinking, ooh, I I like Grandison, but ooh, Hutcherson, when's he going to come out? Or, you know, I I like DeMonte, but ooh, uh, are we going to get some Coleman Hawkins here? Because, man, he looks good. So it's exciting to look forward to the guys coming off the bench. I think it's been a while. And really, if you look at Illinois basketball, even 0405, that team, you didn't really look forward to the bench. Jack Ingram, he was great that year. Richard McBride, he gave you some good minutes. But for the most part, you had a limited bench and you just had a fantastic starting five. But this feels a little more like the early 2000s when Bill Self had eight, nine deep to work with. And when they figured it out, they were dangerous. I think that this team is a lot like that, but they have an even higher ceiling because Curbelo can be your Frank Williams. But there was no Kofi on those teams. There was no Kofi. 
and I think the offensive talent I think the offensive talent of this team surpasses the early 2000s teams. Defensively, that's the question, though I am higher on that after seeing just the sheer length of these guys and thinking, okay, um, we will match up well basically against anybody, and then it just comes down to execution. So if the coaches maximize this team, yes, they are better than last year's team. And that's not to discount what Iowa brought to it. But as an ensemble cast, they are better. And I think over the course of a long season, that will serve them well. All right, that's all I got for today. What a day that was. A Saturday for the books for Illini fans. And hopefully we got more like those coming up in the future. Basketball season is underway. Football, semi-relevant again. Three and five, a chance to make a bowl game. The Rutgers game all of a sudden looms large. And it's going to be impactful. So let's win the damn thing. All right, got to thank DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, order online at dpdoe.com. They'll deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Vintage-inspired Illini apparel for football and basketball season at fourthandkirby.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And finally, Rector Construction online at R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com. We're talking great craftsmanship, great customer service, and uh, also these guys are really good stewards for the Champaign-Urbana community. They've been giving back to this community since they got started. That's RectorConstruction.com. Alani Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. We appreciate their partnership. And, of course, you, the listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back later this week ahead of the Illinois Rutgers game. All of a sudden, it means something. And another basketball exhibition game on Friday night. In the meantime, take care, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level. The